Well, this question comes in from Val. In Isaiah 65, 17, when he says uh, things will not be remembered, nor will come to mind, does that mean we won't remember our loved ones? That's a great question. Uh, frankly, it's one that we've been discussing here under the circumstances as of late, and uh, it's a good one to, to think about. Um, uh, and, and I've been asked this question over the years. Uh, this is not an uncommon one, so thanks for bringing it up. Um, will we know our loved ones in heaven? Will we recognize one another? Will we uh, have that, you know, will we have relationships with those that we knew on earth and that kind of thing? And conversely, uh, what about those that were not saved and did not go to heaven and that? Will we remember them? And, and what will that be like? I thought the Bible says there's no tears in heaven and such. At least Eric Clapton says that, right? But actually the Bible says that too. And so, as a matter of fact, let's look at Isaiah 65, 17, and then we'll also look at uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. This is the passage Val is referencing. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. And then it goes on to speak about rejoicing in that which God has made forever. Um, it goes on to talk about some of the characteristics of the millennial kingdom. But even beyond that, based on verse 17, we know that we're going beyond just the millennium because we're talking about a new heavens and a new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, if you want to turn there, uh, we hear uh, echoes of this as we see the realization of this in its fullness. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God wipe, uh, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful." Uh, really, really a wonderful realization of the promise made in Isaiah 65, verse 17. And so the day is coming when there will be a completely new order of things. And first and foremost, that is what Isaiah 65, 17 is talking about. The fact that there is going to be a complete and total change in the overall order of things. Uh, this new creation of the new heavens and new earth will not be reminiscent of the old one, outside of just the fact that there is a, a new heavens and a new earth. But there's really not, things are not going to be done like they were before. They'll be completely different. And it goes on to describe that throughout the rest of chapters 21 and 22. Um, in the millennium, we see the more immediate answering of, uh, of not only this cry in Isaiah 65, but even what Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's not the new heavens and new earth. That is the millennial kingdom that takes place in Revelation chapter 20. But likewise, uh, or to continue on the thought, as the end of the millennium comes, and in chapter 20 of Revelation, we see that when the end of the thousand years is up, Satan is loosed from the bindings, the chains that he had been bound with for that previous thousand years, and he is loosed for a short time where he gathers up a rebellion against those uh, in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem, uh, against the Lord and against his saints. And so that rebellion is put down just as easily as the first one that came against Christ at his return a thousand years earlier. But then after that, and then of course the white throne judgment, and then after the white throne judgment, there is a new heavens and a new earth. And so there's a completely new order of things. Uh, prior to this, when the, the millennial kingdom, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, 
After all of that is wrapped up in all of human history as we know it on the earth, though there is a millennial kingdom on the earth, it is still the earth. Afterward, in chapter 21, we see the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. This is what Peter talks about. We've talked about this kind of recently, but just to uh, revisit a little bit. In uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, there is mention of uh, how the elements will melt with fervent heat, and there's a new creation coming and, uh, and such. And so, um, now, to answer Val's question, will we know each other in eternity and the new creation? And that's what the new creation of the new heavens and the earth speaks of. This is now a this is now the eternal state. Will we know our loved ones? Now, there's really two prongs to that question. Number one is, will we recognize each other in eternity in heaven and on the on the on the the, the newly created new earth? Will we recognize one another, our loved ones, those that we were friends with and such? Um, How about that? Or what about those that were not saved? Will we conversely remember them? Well, it it seems odd to think that we would um, in in one sense, because we just read in Revelation 21 that there's no more tears, no crying in that. And so to be thinking about those that did not come to inherit eternity as we do— that's a very sad prospect, and, and uh, it seems strange that we would think of that and not be heartbroken over that. So how does that all work? How do we recognize those that came before or those who are with us uh, in time and space when it comes to uh, eternity? Well, I would say that um, my answer to that would be, yes, I do think that we remember our loved ones. We do recognize one another in the new creation. Um, for example, um, Think of Matthew chapter 17 in the Transfiguration. Uh, Peter and James and John are there with the Lord. He is transfigured before them. The root word for transfigured is the same word we get our word metamorphosis from. The idea here is that Jesus changed before their eyes. And and probably a fair way to think of that is he was sort of... um, um, unclothed with his mortality in this for as it were for a moment and his glory shone through and they saw him as he really is in his in his in his his full glory uh they fell on their faces and what peter says in response to this moment is interesting for a number of reasons um not the least of which is that he says it's good that we're here let's build three booths one for you one for moses and one for elijah Well, what's interesting about that is that he recognizes Moses and Elijah, even though he'd never seen them before. There were no photographs of Moses and Elijah. There was no um, Instagram kind of thing. There was no, you know, uh, iPhoto or something where they had pictures of him that had been passed on the generations or uh, or Elijah. There was there was no firsthand descriptions of them that they would have recognized them necessarily, but they did recognize them in their uh, you know, as their spirits became present and, and, and visible there alongside of Christ on either side of him, as it were, they recognized them. So it does appear that we will recognize people in heaven. Um, think about in Luke chapter 16, when Jesus tells the story about Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, now, some will say this is a parable. I would disagree, but there are those that hold that this is a parable. A parable, like all of the other parables, like the sower and the seed, the wheat and the tares, um, all of these different uh, parables of the, the pearl of great price, the, the treasure in the field, all these different parables that Jesus tells are in fact parables, meaning that there is parabolic language involved. He is using an illustration to make a, a literal point. There is, there is sort of the idea of these two ideas running alongside of each other, 
And the parable is intended to um, help them understand um, a deeper spiritual truth. However, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, there is no parabolic language used. There's no other lesson to be learned from this. Uh, it's not metaphorical for some other thing. It's just a straightforward story. We we can sort of surmise this by the fact that a, a man's name is mentioned, Lazarus. Uh, there's a seemingly a, just a telling of a story uh, that seems to have uh, you know real life straightforward implications to it. So I don't see Lazarus and the rich man uh, in that story as being a parable as much as an account. Jesus, of course, would have access to this account being divine, and so when Jesus tells the story. The rich man recognizes Lazarus in eternity. He knew him in time because Lazarus was there sort of begging, you know, from his table and that kind of thing. Well, the rich man recognizes him in eternity. He also recognizes Father Abraham, right? So there is, there does seem to be, it was not a verse that says, yes, we know each other in eternity. But it does seem clear from implication, at least, that we do. And so I think it's probably pretty safe to say uh, that we do, in fact, recognize those in time and space. We do recognize them in uh, in eternity. Now, what about those that are unsaved? Uh, how does that work? Do we uh, do we remember them? Okay. Well, uh, again, my sense would be yes. Although there's there's not really again a clear passage that tells us that for sure. Um, you know. But on the other hand. Uh, how do we deal with the troubling nature of the idea that remembering our loved ones who were unsaved would not bring us tears in that as uh, sort of an opposition to what uh, Revelation 21 says? Um, well, again, this is sort of my speculation on this. This is not a, you know, I'm not selling this as, as being a, certainly not revelation from God. This is not something that necessarily is found in Scripture. Um, but if we do, and I'll put it that way. Maybe we don't remember those who were lost uh, and think on them in eternity. But I, I, I don't know about that. If we do remember them, my sense of things is that in our glorified state, in our perfect state, we will not only uh, have glorified bodies, but our understanding will be enlightened in the presence of God. We'll begin to maybe more than we could on earth, we may begin to understand things from his perspective better than we do now. In other words, when it comes to thinking about those who are lost, we may have issues with the concept of them being lost forever. It breaks our hearts today because we we think maybe there was some way or if something happened, then maybe they would have turned or something like that. Or is it just that God has uh, condemned people to an eternity in hell? In the lake of fire in that. Well, when we're in the presence of God and we see him in all of his glory and, and perfection and wisdom and such without any, you know, anything hiding that from us, nothing, you know, nothing between us and him any longer, but we're in his presence, my sense is that we will understand things better too, that we'll have a better sense of sort of the, the wisdom, the justice, the righteousness of it, the rightness itself of it, um, after all, you know, it's interesting, Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow to Christ, you know, the idea that in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, right, everybody will bend the knee to the Lordship of Christ Jesus uh, on that day. 
even those who are lost and condemned because of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're into the lake of fire, they too will recognize the Lordship of Christ. Um, they will not be in eternity apart from God in the lake of fire saying that God is not fair. They'll under, and, and probably one of the things that will make hell so terrible is the fact that they will recognize the rightness of what God has done in sentencing them to that. Um, so it's a hard pill to swallow now, but uh, but I do think it's a reasonable consideration. Again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that because I can't say that I know for sure that we will know the lost in eternity. Um, um, but I would say that, uh, at least to me, this is a reasonable possibility in our approach to it. But as far as those who are saved and do we recognize them, like, well, I know my my wife in heaven and my daughter, you know? Uh, yeah, I think I will. You know, we won't be married in heaven. You know, the, Jesus says that in, in, you know, in heaven we're not married, but we're like the angels in this regard, in that we're not married nor given in marriage. Uh, and so, um, you know, we won't, we'll have a different relationship in heaven. We'll simply be brother and sister in Christ in heaven uh, and not husband and wife. Um, but we'll know each other, I would imagine, again, based on the passages we, we looked at. So, uh, Val, again, very good question, and um, and uh, hopefully this gives a little bit of something to think about in that regard and maybe even brings a measure of peace. So uh, so thanks for asking. If you have any thoughts or questions or anything you'd like to share, you can always do that on our YouTube channel in the comments section. Or if you'd like to email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com, you can always do that as well. I have a, uh, I think I've mentioned I've got a number of questions here I'm trying to kind of make my way through, so we're kind of getting to some of these now. So thanks for watching and listening, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time. But Father, we do thank you for your blessing upon our lives and that we know you as your followers, as, as uh, those who are born again in Christ. We thank you that we have a, an eternity to look forward to that will be rich in joy because as David wrote in Psalm 1611, that in your presence is fullness of joy. We thank you that that's because you are our portion. You are, in fact, our inheritance first and foremost before any streets of gold or any mansions that Jesus is working on or any of those kinds of things. Ultimately, to be in your presence and to know that we'll be spending eternity with you is the greatest of all rewards. And we thank you that that is, in fact, uh, what is you know, primarily, first and foremost, kept for us who are kept by the power of God, as Peter would say. But thank you for all the additional things that you have uh, ordained to, to, um, to, to give to us as an inheritance as well. But thank you, Father, for your love and your grace and your mercy, without which there would be no hope. But Father, because you have been gracious to us, and by grace we're saved, not of works, but rather this is the gift of God, lest any should boast. We thank you that this is something you have imputed to us. You've given us the righteousness of Christ, and so therefore we stand in the hope of what is eternal and what awaits us. So, Father, we love you and praise you for this. And when it comes to these questions, uh, they may trouble us here in time and space because we're not standing in eternity watching these things as they will be one day. But we do trust that when we come across something we don't understand, we can find real true rest in what we do. And that is that you are wise and uh, and right and good and just above all things. And so we, Father, just thank you that even though we may not get it now in your presence, I would certainly imagine that we will understand far greater than we do now. So thank you for that as well. And we just praise you and bless you for all of your goodnesses toward us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>